A Sankarshan Joshi trip. Yes, we are uh, we are rolling. <laughs> Hi Apurva. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. Like I know you had a pretty uh, busy week and uh, like you still made time for this. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's it's my pleasure. <laughs> So like initially like when i heard um that you were a dance and movement therapist like i got like really excited like because uh, like i start defining what this might be like in my own common like layman terms and then uh, like i also believe that when it comes to therapy and like mental uh, well being like i think that like you doing something physically like also like it's also very important so yeah like i'm a layman and i don't know what this is like could you tell me like what like dance and movement therapy is all about okay to put it in very very simple terms um i will just talk about the premise of dance movement therapy right okay um it's called dance hyphen movement therapy because uh it was actually started by the whole movement was started by dancers so that is the only reason why dance came into the picture hmm. right otherwise i think i would be more comfortable calling it movement therapy right so now when we talk about dance movement therapy um uh, there are experiences where words fail hmm. right there are sometimes experiences that are too traumatic or uh you know uh just not enough words to sum up an experience right let yeah. it be uh, let's say something that's too deeply saddening or something that's extremely uh exciting mm. sometimes you can't put them in words but uh then maybe you can move to it then maybe the body talks you know what happens when words fail is there another medium of looking for therapy without the actual use of words right of course we do use verbal processing and we do process the experience in the groups through words but before that how can we uh, you know provide therapy with some of the most simplest creative arts let's say art movement music so like when you and say movement uh, like even like painting and drawing like all those come into picture of course we use we use all of it to process we use uh, art to sort of you know uh, close down the experience to build some sort of closure for the session we use uh, sometimes we use art sometimes we use music sometimes we use sounds so it's it's a mix of everything so like if someone comes to you for therapy uh like would you make them do like everything like from music to like art to everything like painting drawing no it depends on the need of the client and what the okay. client is bringing into the session and also it's not what the therapist can make the client do the movement is elicited from the client we are using their own natural movement vocabulary and okay. providing how we can see uh, how we can sort of use that to give therapeutic benefits because 
everybody knows that movement just moving your body in any way sometimes people feel very low they go to the gym come back or they go for a run come back you feel better right the endorphins kick in so how can we use that movement to give therapeutic benefits because there is um, the whole the whole thing that uh, motion and emotion are connected you know that is the actual premise of dmt that uh, there is a nexus between the mind body nexus and exploring that connection uh, so like what is the first thing that you make like someone like for example if i come to you or like what is the first thing that you would do okay so i am trained to facilitate only groups as of now right okay uh, so uh, i do use um, let's say tiny bits of uh you know my therapeutic movement facilitation skills in my actual counseling sessions as well because that really helps me understand clients better uh okay. because anything that is more integrative helps like in most ways is what i feel so um the first thing when i generally work with groups is that i go with a basic session plan a basic plan with like an icebreaker just to getting to know them and you know making the group comfortable with each other because if if i'm it's if it's a group that is long standing that they're going to work for let's say about 20 sessions then they need to sort of build that kind of trust mm. uh, that yes. kind of group coordination the group cohesion for them to even work through issues that are uh, you know let's say not that comfortable for them to work on yeah very fifth it's something very personal like they need to get comfortable with the environment right like in order to like move very freely or uh, most people think it's dance they're like okay you're going to make us dance and which is not the case <laughs> yeah like when you say like like when you said if you're feeling low you go for a run or you work out and then you feel better so like partially this was the reason why i was really excited to talk to you is because uh, so like i like working out like that is like a major part of my life right now and uh, so like during quarantine like like if i don't work out then i feel like there is so much energy inside but i don't know like what to do like then uh, like all the like the overthinking starts you know what i mean like i started to feel very uh, suffocated i feel like there is too much energy and i don't know what to do so like that way like working out like helped me come out of it and then i created a opinion and i thought that maybe like working out helps like, like you need to do some form of physical activity and uh, yeah like that was the reason like i wanted to know more about uh, like like movement therapy all that right hmm. so when I, when you're saying that you know working out really helped me otherwise it like felt very like the energy felt very trapped right hmm we mm. as humans are used to movement movement is universal yeah and why i say that let's go to the fundamental basic unit of movement let's say breathing right everyone relates to breathing yes even a person with an ailment of uh, you know with an ailment let's say of the lungs knows the value of breathing in mm. fact they would know more right and uh, especially when you feel stuck Uh, i think this is something that a lot of people felt during the quarantine i did too i felt very stuck sitting at home in one place doing one thing um and just going outside to my balcony and just breathing fresh air helped it it made me feel alive if just yeah. that little movement of your 
torso going that way can help you feel alive uh, imagine what your entire body uh, the kind of knowledge it holds the kind of wisdom your body holds just by breathing you can feel alive yeah you see your entire state of mind from being stuck to feeling alive when you go to places with which are really uh, or when you when you're in uh, spaces around nature when you go for like a holiday or traveling you feel more alive yes because one you've moved from the place right second is that there is some sort of shift in your movement mm-hmm. right if i'm at home maybe i'd be sitting in my room couched up on my phone or working doing notes this is my basic movement uh, repertoire at home this is the vocabulary i have at home sleep yeah. get up okay brushing my teeth these are automatic responses that i have yeah, it becomes so very sedentary outside, exactly so when i go let's say when i go outside i'm doing something else that is different from mm. my usual it's, it's routine part of my vocabulary but huh. it's something different, you know and the the basic basic premise is that our body holds experiences traumatic experiences happy experiences be it anything why is it that you can feel butterflies in your stomach when you're nervous hmm. it is the body's way of telling you that the body has its wisdom so if let's say your mind is too cluttered let's say when you're doing therapy normally you're working with the mind to change your behavior hmm. right and bringing it to the body let's say you're you're getting that wisdom into the body what if we reverse it hmm. using the body to sort of integrate your physical social cognitive emotional selves yeah makes sense yeah and that itself is that itself is therapy like it's the psychotherapeutic use of movement that is what dmt is yeah and also um, like people when they are do- doing something like this like they come out of that okay i'm in a therapy kind of mindset like they become like they become much more freer right like when you go to a psychologist or when you sitting and when you get getting a therapy done you know that you are you are with a therapist and you are getting a therapy done but like whereas like if you're moving and you're doing something other than um, like talking about your problems and all that like i think that it also gives like i think that people restrict themselves you know like sometimes when they feel that okay i'm in a therapeutic environment or, or something like that and then whereas when it comes to movement i think they're much more not conscious that they are in a therapy and they're much more freer of course because um i do understand that talking and talk therapy is a very very essential part of mm. um, therapy in itself right because on the other hand i am also a counseling psychologist so i know the benefits of it right um but again um it doesn't work for everybody is what i feel because for someone like me who is used to movement i've been dancing since the age of 5 so for me movement actually became a way of expression since a very young age without my knowledge so for me if you say movement therapy session it would work better of course there is a therapeutic alliance there as well there is a therapist and a client you know uh, to put it in very simple words uh dmt is like talk therapy but the client is talking with the body right and the therapist is trained to listen to the body's voice 
to put it very simple in a very simple manner because uh, DMT and therapy are very similar. So you're like constantly observing everybody, like whatever they're doing. Of course, so, and there's so much that comes up. Yeah. And, and when also, you're moving freely, there yeah. is so much of the unconscious material that comes out. Yeah. And yeah. that is so rich. That is so detailed. And uh, that is one of the places where you can actually start your work with. I, I saw you mention that you were overthinking. Yeah. There is a reason why you're overthinking, right? Because I think a lot of the times we also mislabel ourselves that, okay, I'm overthinking, I'm doing this, I'm depressed, I'm this. Are you actually uh, depressed or are you uh, feeling sad? Yeah. You know, of course, intense sadness, intense hurt can also be there, but are you actually depressed about it? Does it take a toll on you like the way a person with depression actually feels? Yeah. You know? That, that kind of nuances, the, the nuances that are there uh, between emotions, yeah. Um, I don't think people know much about it. Yeah. It's either happy or sad. There is no in between. There's no joy. There's no, you know, feeling confused, feeling this, feeling that. There is no, I'm hurt, but I can deal with it. Or yeah, this is deeply hurtful. Or are you actually hurt? Or are you disappointed with someone's behavior? Are you actually hurt, disappointed, upset? What is it? Are you angry? Right? These are all different emotions. And I don't think children in general are uh, taught these different emotions just like a color wheel we have like an emotion wheel uh, you know a wheel of emotion there's a spectrum of emotions i don't think uh, most people are taught that yeah yeah i don't think like most people are aware of it and also there is an element of uh, coolness you know like in your circle um, like for a like I've seen people who think that like either being depressed or like being aggressive or showing attitude, like it's being cool. You know, like for example, like if you uh, portray yourself to be depressed, like it's cool. Like I've literally seen people do that. Like they portray themselves to be depressed either to get attention maybe, or I don't know, but I'm assuming it's attention or uh, yeah, like I've seen people do that too. See, if, you, if they're portraying something and they're saying they're depressed, but they don't want to like, you know, be about it, you know, um, if you're saying attention, they need attention because they're lacking something. Yeah. Right. Um, often, again, we do uh, see these behaviors as very, also when people are generally mentioning that they're depressed or, you know, they're sad. Um, they're actually finding ways to communicate. They're actually finding ways to express. Uh, maybe, because yeah. they don't maybe know a better way to communicate. If you yeah. look at it that way. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, yeah, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the times I have heard um, some of my clients who come in um, with self-harm issues, you know, mm. um, and they talk about it um, and they say that, you know, my friends just think I'm trying to seek attention. What they're not seeing is that uh, they're trying to document their pain. They try to feel pain. Mm. If I am nervous, I'm trying to feel some pain or maybe physical pain is better than the pain I'm going through internally. You know, so is that like a distraction from like internal pain? Like why do people self-harm? It's not a distraction. It's an actual coping mechanism. Like how because does that work? I'm in, I'm in distress at this point and I'm hurt about something. Let's say I have failed my exam, suppose, just imagine. And that's causing me deep hurt and like, or I've lost a loved one. That's causing me deep hurt. 
I, I have never been taught to regulate my emotions. Maybe as a, as a child, my parents or my circle or my environment has never taught me that it is okay to be sad, that grief is a part and that you need to mourn their loss and, you know, sort of process these emotions and get along with it. Maybe I was never equipped to deal with these emotions. Mm. I was always asked to be happy in my good behavior, best behavior. Yeah. People also see behaviors as good and bad. This is something that I generally have a problem with. If we change the narrative of seeing uh, behaviors as good and bad, from good and bad to healthy and unhealthy, mm. you can change a lot. The way you parent your children can change on another level because then suddenly parents don't see the child's behavior as bad and sort of condemn them and, you know, uh, criticize them. They start, there's more compassion when you look at it. Let's say yeah. this is an unhealthy behavior. This is unhealthy for you. If you're, and I'm not saying if you're going for a drink once in a while and coming back, but if your child is doing that every second day, um, then of course it's unhealthy for them. At the end of yeah. the day, someday this is going to be an addiction and this might develop into something that is harmful for the person, you know, to their body. Yes. You know, they might end up with some sort of a condition. So this, maybe I was never given that kind of an option to deal with these emotions. So when I don't know what to deal, uh, how to deal with my emotions, I'm going to do what I feel like at that point, what, what I want to do. If I'm impulsive, if I'm somebody who's impulsive and things like that, I will look for quick ways of relief. Because when I'm impulsive, I need instant gratification of my needs. I need instant uh, relief. And what people, most people don't understand is that uh, with self-harm, uh, it is actually a way of documenting pain. Oh. Like the, every time you look at it, there is a me memory of it. It's, and if you ask somebody, when did this happen? When did that happen? They will know each and every time. They were like, this yes. is when I got upset. This is when this happened. That is when that happened. Right. Um, and also a lot of people do say that it is attention seeking behavior, but what is, if, if they are seeking attention, there why, is a reason. Yeah. why, you know, that there is something that they need to be, to be seen, to be heard in a way that they want to be heard. And if, um, let's say you as an environment, let's say the parents or the friends or people around can provide that space to just hold that person and see them for who they are. You know, there will, things will change drastically. Things will change. Yeah. Just, um, even when I was learning, I used to think that people who self-harm are just attention seeking people. Oh my God, like why, how can you do that to yourself? This was me back, let's say eight, nine years ago when I was studying, when I just got introduced to psychology. But the minute I understood this part that, you know, it is a way to, you know, elevate their pain. Mm. And that, that kind of internal pain, I don't think anybody can uh, help you with it. Yeah. Also, one more thing is that I, I, I believe by this. I, I really, really believe a lot about this. Uh, how old are you? I'm 21. 21. You are 21. Sankarshan is 21. He has lived his life for 21 years. He knows the best ways to get out of things. Whenever you have had a problem, you've gotten out of it. Whenever you've had something, you've got through it. By hook or by crook, let's say even if it's healthy or unhealthy, mm -hmm. you have gotten yourself to be alive and surviving. And instead of surviving, you're actually thriving to yeah. a point where you're happy and content, let's say, with yourself. If you have done that for yourself for 21 years, 
how can somebody else come and tell you otherwise that you know oh you should do this you know it will help you right because you know what's going to work for you you know yourself even when you are not aware about yourself even if you have not been to therapy you know yourself the best even if it's unhealthy you will keep doing it as long as it's serving you yeah so everyone has their own ways of coping so if you look at it that way let's say a client comes they're 40 they're dealing with some problem they have gotten themselves alive and well till 40 years 40 years yeah so all you need to do is help them connect with their self that they can trust themselves and give them options and choices of behaviors and emotions that can be done differently yeah. you don't have to put yourself through the pain to feel pain or to elevate the pain you yeah know? so sometimes you just have to make them see the better options that they have for themselves and these options are never provided by let's say a lot of the um, let's say your primary uh, circle you know your parents relatives grandparents i've i it's very few cases that i have seen where the parents are very self aware and they've you know helped their child through crises or you know just given them a, a good sense of awareness about themselves yeah yeah that doesn't happen because there is a lack of awareness with the parent community too like sometimes they just like freaking out um uh, like even when i was talking to uh, like neha taparia so like this was a major portion of our conversation like we had about that people like parents uh, they don't know what to do right like they're not really aware and then there was this beautiful point that came up that uh, like parents they they see uh, teenagers as a problem uh, or a, like a problematic age group rather than seeing it as a phase of life you know like this is also going to pass yeah and and also like when you say that we need to change the terminologies from good or bad to healthy and unhealthy right like it makes so much sense to me because uh, so good or bad sometimes like whatever you are doing if it is bad to whom like so 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 for example if i am a parent and if i am saying my kid that whatever you are doing is bad that means that it might be bad to me it might be bad to society there are so many things that might be other than that person like when you use the word health health like it is so subjective to that person like for example if i am doing something unhealthy um like it there is amount of care you know like when you use the word unhealthiness like because it is happening to me and you want me to be healthy like which is better so yeah like the point of everything is me when you just change the word which yeah and you're dealing with so much compassion suddenly there's just a, so much compassion yeah. that comes when you look at it that way you know yeah. healthy or unhealthy you know just so much compassion comes in and also one more thing is that people think that behavior is that person's personality of course behavior talks a lot suppose the person's lying this person is a bad person what is bad person only behaviors are good or bad even if you want to see it as good or bad only behaviors can be good or bad right yeah true people are people innately have both sides in them yes and i'm and i i stick by this thing that they have healthy and unhealthy sides to them mm. that's it you know You, if you see it as good or bad then it becomes a very it's a it becomes a question of moral integrity yeah. 
now you are like preaching morals the metric with which we are saying something is good or bad like that be that that changes right like when you like there there might be a lot of aspects like societal or so if a parent says whatever you doing is bad that means that that might affect my social status in the social status or or my reputation or there's so many things that come into that metric of something is good or bad and also what the parents say and how they parent and what they're actually talking to the child really really matters because even if you have the most dysfunctional parents hmm. trust me your child is looking up to you yeah. and children only learn through observation yeah. when you see a 2 year old or a 1 year old toddler like they are just um you you dance in front of them they will do the same thing they yeah. pick up very very quickly yes so they observe children are very very good observers yeah and that is what they will carry for the rest of their lives so what are they observing in the house is what they will replicate outside as well yeah and there is no behavior that a child will learn from outside that is not seen in the house yeah yeah true and i'll give you an example let's say the pair, let's say the uh, the father or the mother both of them are not alcoholics or they just don't drink at all okay but they have really really bad emotion regulation skills they numb out their feelings all the time okay they numb it out by saying it's okay this is life you have to compromise or this is uh, no no when they're feeling extremely sad they want to you know completely numb it out not change the feeling numb it out or let's say even they want to change it by doing something that's extremely happy even if they don't want to do it you know there are times when you feel sad and you just want to go for a walk or you just want to do something that sort of stabilizes you but to sort of switch the entire game to like from sad to happy okay if this is what's happening in the house okay parents have had a fight they don't want to acknowledge it they don't want to communicate about it but then next day they're back to talking normally without even having a single you know conversation around it right the child sees the fight doesn't see the communication that happens yeah. between the parents and then this is what this child is exposed to at home now the child goes out let's say starts drinking okay now see the two the the similarities between the two uh, behaviors the parents are used to numbing out their feelings and altering their mood without a substance the child is doing it just with a substance yeah because at the end of the day any sort of addiction to any substance is about uh, altering your mood and numbing out is just reaching to that point but with what means is so here when you say like alcohol is like one of the means to like his means of achieving that uh like whatever like when you say numbing pain yeah absolutely absolutely this is and this is something that the child has picked up from the house and then the parents have a problem saying that you know this is what he's learned from outside yeah but they don't, they fail to see that this is the pattern that runs in the house this is just for an example that i've given but this is what generally happens if you see behaviors of children um it generally does go back to behaviors that they have learned at home yeah yeah and also like like when you say that if a, like like if parents fight like you see the fight but they like what they do later on to make up to that fight like we don't see and also at home people don't usually apologize so like i've seen like so many like families even in my home also so if uh, like me and my sister fight or if 
me and my parents or my parents like anyone fight the things just become normal like in a sense you just start talking normally but you don't apologize i think that that is uh like one of the negatives of that is that you're not acknowledging your mistake like for example if i did something wrong when i go apologize to my parents that means that i'm acknowledging my mistake and i'm owning up to my mistakes like if you're not acknowledging that means that you're not owning up to that like you're just running away like that will reflect uh, like on your future partner maybe or or your friends so yeah it will reflect highly on your communication skills hmm. you have acknowledged that you've done something wrong that is there guilt is there inside any human will go through all <laughs> of these emotions we are human and we will go through these emotions at one point or the other yeah right um acknowledging it of course in a way that you know you know it you're aware of it but when you apologize and you put it into communication you're bringing it into reality yeah and if i say okay i'm so sorry i'm late by 5 minutes i shouldn't have kept you waiting right it is acknowledging that okay i have been late i am sorry i will try my best to not repeat this again <coughs> and I'm saying so sorry. sorry thank you they were no issues they're saying sorry thank you are very underrated yeah uh, things even in friendships people say what sorry and thank you and uh, which i don't believe in it it, it really furthers communication yeah, they're very important they are called like magical words for a reason right it furthers communication these are communication yeah. skills that everyone needs to have yeah. and children need to be taught and this needs to be put into you know um let's say more forms of awareness yes yeah and also uh with respect to movement right uh you're actually living in the moment like you're not thinking about anything like for example when you're doing something like for example if you're walking or if you're if you're working out or if you're dancing or if you're singing if you're painting most of is occupied by what you're doing in that moment so uh like all which might be a, like a depressive thoughts or overthinking and all that like it won't happen because you're living in the moment right again so uh when we're when we're moving most often what happens is that we are moving from experiences that drive us okay right? yeah like okay um and when i say the body has wisdom it does um let me i'm thinking of an example that i can give um okay so um there was this while i was going through my coursework okay when i was studying to be a therapeutic movement facilitator um there was this one activity where we had to take a piece of cloth and we had to keep moving with it okay we just had to keep moving with it and if we felt like we had to um um keep any part of the body covered we can do that with that piece of cloth right and uh, it was a very it sounds like a very simple basic activity like you think you can just keep doing this or this and it'll be fine um and this activity was almost for like 20 25 minutes you know um and um we kept moving with we and we had cloth of different texture 
like one was like very thin like a shawl like a like a stole uh, and from that like we had the thickest uh, let's say like a quilt or like a actual you know heavy uh, cloth so we could pick up whatever we liked and um, i started moving it was fine in the beginning everyone was very dreamy about it everyone was very let's say it was the legit just those actual you know turns with the dupattas and all of that later when we were asked to cover a part of the body suddenly i can see my fellow classmates breaking down i can see myself feeling this you know depth of emotion that i have never felt i felt so and I, for me i was just wrapping it around my hands i was just wrapping it around my hands i just kept going over it on on and on and on and suddenly i burst i just burst into tears it's a very simple movement and a very simple prop an everyday prop right a dupatta is an everyday prop we've been playing with it since children like to you know role play your mother or teacher suddenly that has become of such relevance because i as an individual have attached so much meaning to it i felt so safe that was my safety and secure security it became my safe net in that process to hold the emotions that i was going through to, to to hold the depth of emotions that i was going through you know and we had an activity to make sure we gave proper closure to the prop and leave it aside because that is also important now that i've held it with so much because if if the facilitator would have said just leave it on the side and come back to a circle sit and talk about your experience i would have felt horrible about it trust me i would have been like that is my safety there i have put all of my safety my comfort and my depth over there and you haven't even asked me to say goodbye mm. right so this is how movement in the smallest ways can make you feel such depth it was just this movement of mine that made me feel safe that made me feel comfortable it made me feel like someone held me and that someone was me so it is just that that we do of course come into when we are moving in terms of let's say an activity gymming or we're doing dancing there's a purpose to it we're doing it with a purpose and we go oh, and yeah. we can obviously like leave it away but when you come into movement therapy there's a lot that plays out okay. unconsciously there's a lot that plays out because this is therapy in proper form this is proper therapy right and in therapy there will be things that will obviously come out this even if you're talking about it not talking about it we just need to provide a medium through which the client can express do you think energy of the room is also important like if you're doing something like this so of course, of course. so like when you as a class like when you were uh, like rolling your hands through the dupatta do you think energy bouncing back from the room also played a vital role uh, there uh the thing is i was very comfortable with my group our group was very closely knit and we had worked two modules before that very closely so i had built a rapport with almost everybody and i had worked with each person in various activities 
right so for me that activity was a very individual activity everyone was doing their own thing you know even i was doing my own thing for me to trust that space mm. i don't think if it was another group i would be able to do it yeah. because i went through that group process with these guys i know that whatever i put out in the group will be held it's, will it's be safe yeah it is safe it will not be invalidated it will not be condemned it will not judged. be exaggerated it will not be judged mm. and the one thing that every human wants to not be judged yeah and when you're getting that space you're allowed to be yourself you will allow yourself to be yourself do you take breaks sometimes like do you think uh, do you ever get very overwhelmed with uh, your clients like by their problems and like do you ever like take a break of course it's very important self care is very important for a counselor or a, anybody in this profession in the mental health profession self care is very important firstly secondly yes clients can the stories that clients can bring in can overwhelm you um again but what part of it is overwhelming you do you start relating with them again you have to put yourself in therapy to check with that in supervision to check with that right so what people see is the one hour of work that we do with a client what they don't see is the hours of work that we put into ourselves so that i don't start relating to the client i don't start feeling sympathetic because it's important for me as a counselor and as a therapist to hold that space and not judge not put myself in it and to see their frame of reference outside my frame of reference i leave my frame of reference bias like leave all the bias and then like look at it right of course because when i am sympathizing i cannot be empathetic about it i cannot be compassionate right and when i am sympathizing there will maybe some sort of transference will happen i might start seeing the clients let's say somebody who's much younger than me i might start tra- having this transference of them like being my child which is unhealthy to the process it is going to hinder them yeah it is going to hinder the client's process so i have to get into therapy i have to get myself into you know i have to have supervision therapy whatever it is whatever it takes for me to uh you know get that break so will you feel uh, like like if you're taking a break from therapy and uh, if you if someone else is um, if you're going to someone else for therapy uh like when you're overwhelmed like is it you who is going to decide when you're going to go back to taking therapies or uh, like will someone else uh say if you're fit to go back or how does that work see at the end of the day you have to be ready to do what you want to do hmm. right um when i finished my course i was um not uh, i didn't start my work again right for a while and then the lockdown happened then i had to slowly start my clients again uh through that time i was in therapy even now i'm in therapy right i'm continuously in therapy because i feel i need it i feel that is my space that one hour is for me and nobody else you know that one hour i go and talk about whatever i want to talk about work through whatever issue i want to work through instead of you know going and talking about it over and over again or just ranting about something get it so that is the decision i have taken that i am going to be in therapy for this much time when i feel ready i will be okay with it you know when i feel up for it and um, i think it's a personal choice 
uh, but again uh, counseling without therapy without you being in therapy is uh, absolutely it's nonsense i'm sorry but it is just utter nonsense please do not believe any therapist or counselor who thinks they don't need therapy or um, they have not been to therapy always check with your counselor or therapist whether they have been for therapy and whether they are in supervision if needed like if that is needed always check if they have had supervision if they are very experienced in all of that please ask them that if they have been to therapy before uh the client has all rights to do this please be more aware of what you're getting yourself into there are a lot of therapists and counselors who are doing really really unhealthy work and they i have had clients and i've had my own friends go to people feeling like shit and coming back and they said if Ooh. this is how therapy is i don't want to go and i said what did they do i asked them because i was just curious and i was like hmm, what did she ask you to do that you felt so bad about it you know and i was trying to be a friend and she said i told her that i'm unable to do this and she's asking me to do homework and i said what that is so unempathetic yeah that is so unempathetic a person is coming and telling you that i am not able to get out of bed and this counselor has asked this person to record their mood every hour and i said what makes you think that person is this person is not getting out of bed do you really think this person just wants to sit and note their mood hourly of course not they want to they want somebody who can meet them at the bed mentally empathy, they empathy want empathy is the key right they want someone who can relate to the fact that it's okay for you to stay in bed but what's making you stay there you don't have to change it but what is making you stay there and just understanding what is making you stay in that bed and what that bed signifies we as individuals hold a lot of metaphors mm. it's easier for us to talk in metaphors you know love as deep as the ocean the ocean becomes the metaphor at the depth of the ocean becomes the metaphor right yeah we talk and we have a lot of metaphors we associate to a lot of things and that is where i feel dmt is of brilliant use because it is the easiest way to make our inner worlds more tangible mm. right because we're putting it into movement you're giving it form you're putting it into art you're giving it form you're give you're putting it into you're using a prop you're projecting onto the prop you're bringing it to life like you feel more lively you're making it more a, a part of your reality like how i made that dupatta my 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 safety and my security i put it out there you know it's the same way and that is where i feel like um if we look at dmt uh, and how it's growing i feel like it can transcend all uh, forms of therapy because if we are looking at using movement which is so basic and universal to everybody yeah right that means we are able to break language barriers cultural barriers barriers that we have been dealing with for a long time you know yeah. and when these two can be broken then what can be more better than that yeah yeah and also when you say that body has wisdom uh your body knows like in a sense uh, so like if there is a physical wound then your body does what it has to do by itself 
uh, like for example if you burn your hand like blisters happen right so you'll have blisters on the wound and they happen in order to save the inner layers of the skin so like everything that happens in the body like it happens for a reason right like in order to like protect itself so even like using the same logic even psychologically like when you say that like body has wisdom uh like it it makes like absolute sense to me a lot you know um there is really amazing book i read it's called the body keeps the score body keeps the score yeah okay and in this he talks about uh, how our body stores trauma and uh, how it affects us how it affects your brain chemistry you know and um, trust me there are a lot of people including i'm sure even like me i'm sure if i go through again like one more rigorous you know year of training and things like that there will be something that comes up there will be some part of my body that i have stored something in we actively do this but we just don't know about it your body actively holds memories holds experiences and it has wisdom in the form of vibrations like how do you think the body like holds memories in the form of energy or in the form of vibrations or- you can put it as energy you can say vibration you can say whatever but at the end of the day if you're anxious you're feeling it in your gut right yes suddenly you have an uncomfortable conversation with someone your head starts hurting Mm. What, what what is that your body is giving you a signal it's giving you a clear cut signal that this is too much for you or this is not okay for you when you're feeling happy you feel jumpy the energy is gone to the legs right so whatever be it your body knows so at the end of the day how can we use that wisdom to make sure we get therapeutic benefits so is it uh like good to listen to the body all the time of course i mean i'm a movement uh, i don't no, 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 no. like what i'm trying to say here is that uh, so for example if you going on stage like if it's making you nervous or if it's making you if, if, if something is making you anxious do you think that uh, like listening to the body in a way and stop doing it or like do you think like we need to work on it like my question like comes from that point of view okay so i'll just take this example of uh, you know your stage fright uh the fear the itself it's it has it there you know there there is fear fear of failure fear of judgment fear of rejection whatever it is right so if we deal with that in therapy or with that in movement therapy then of course you are going to feel before every performance i feel nervous too mm. you know going on stage that um have you heard this whole term called eustress and distress no okay eustress is the good kind of stress that kind of drives you to go and like okay. do your work and like get things done right distress is when it becomes you a know problem. too much for you yeah. and it's like taking a toll on your life right so um your body is going to always help you in that way if if there is an intense reaction to going on stage that means there is some sort of fear and yes. every fear can be worked through trust um i was working in this rehabilitation center and there is this book on the aa alcoholics anonymous and it's in that book it clearly says that you know driven by a thousand forms of fear we alcoholics but 
generally like it goes on and it says we alcoholics but i think that's every person we are all driven by fear at the end of the day we all are but how we work through it is what finally comes out i think that's where like human beings evolved right like we uh, like how we evolved like fear and survival was always like the major portion like fear of being killed like for example back if we go to the days where we were living in caves and we were cavemen um it's always survival and a fear of being killed or a fear of dying right like that kept us kept us um alive and um, like thriving i think that there is a lot of instincts that come as um, like we human beings we evolved right there are so many instincts that come from uh, like innate caveman instincts do you think so too of course see in that way let's say when you're talking about uh, fear of like you know just survival you know fear of dying uh, you know don't think to perish you know we might perish but um, that's when you have you can be your most creative self you know it is in that depth that you can actually it is in that fear that you can actually think if th- if you think properly because when you're in that phase of okay i need to survive you will start looking for food water yeah. right shelter and then suddenly from caveman we had like these you know bamboo sticks as shelter yes okay fish being taken out of water and eaten you know look at the ways in which your brain can think when you're put in a situation and that's the thing again i t- uh, revert back to is that most people are uncomfortable with uncomfortable emotions because that is what we're taught to you shouldn't be feeling this way right but the it's thing bad. is un- it's bad yeah uh, but the thing is uncomfortable emotions actually are uh, the best soil like the best soil for growth I'll tell you why. Um there was this one time during my internship for my course that I was doing and I was heading a group and suddenly the whole group says they don't want to participate in this they find it bullshit the movement therapy session. They literally told me and this is I was working with people who are chemically dependent yeah. I refrain from calling them alcoholics or addicts. <laughs> They people individuals with chemical dependency issues. Period. Uh so uh the entire group like four of them out of the six four of them just go like this is nonsense we don't want to do it right and that is the first time i saw them reacting in four sessions that is the first time i saw them reacting and a trait of somebody who is chemically dependent is that they will push your boundaries which they tried to do with me as well they thought i will get affected and i will have like a really bad time and i will cry about it or whatever um and i said cool okay um i know you want to sit outside why don't you just decorate a corner take some art material call it whatever you want to call it you time out or whatever it is um decorate one corner of your room and you can go sit there and every time i come into the session i will hang it on that corner itself you can choose which corner you of the room you want it to be and whoever wants to go sit there whenever can go sit there right the in, the initial thing like my my initial reaction inside when they told me that was that oh shit am i failing am i failing at my job you know but that doubt inside of me that that feeling of shit maybe i'm not doing good enough you know 
that was the reason for me to start getting creative where i was like okay you don't like it that's okay i understand that means i'm doing something right for you to not like it yeah <laughs> because a person because a person with chemical dependency is away from their emotions that means there's something that's happening within them that they don't want to feel it they're trying to run away from something and they don't have the substance in the rehab so what are they going to do they're going to rebel i said okay that's when i became my creative self i was like you know what let me use from what i have learned create a time out corner decorate it as much as you want they called it free parking and it's very very um it's actually really uh, you know funny how that's how it reflects their state they want a free park they want a free park you know they want to free park their vehicles and their seats of emotion do you see how like how it reflects their actual state of their mind they want if you start looking into something yeah they they if you start looking into it and in the rehab their schedule was very time to time 6 o'clock they have to wake up this that they have to do this by this, this. one minute late they get pull up oh right so for about 3 to 4 sessions my sessions were all about just going and sitting there and i will play music for them <laughs> i used to just play music for them then one fine day they i think they felt bad i don't know what happened <laughs> shifted i walked in i put the free parking poster there that they had made and i came and i sat in the circle whatever it was all of them came and joined and they said what are we doing today i said oh okay what do you want to do today and then they said you were listening to songs the other day you know you played songs can i give you a list of songs and can you get me those songs i said of course why not we'll work through it and imagine the songs they gave me are all reflective of the way they are feeling they had given me songs um called by this uh, thing called imagine dragons yeah radioactive um there was another song they had um there was imagine by john lennon there was uh, another day for you and me in paradise just look at it they are all songs of hope and power they had they had songs of we will rock you these are the song choices that they had and these are all songs of hope and power the underlying theme was hope and power and that's what they wanted to feel because um, at one point in the rehab they were all going through a step which makes them feel hopeless mm. you know step one is that we are hopelessly you know uh, the the that the substance has taken control over us uh. right that is what step one of the alcoholics anonymous is that you know we admit that it has taken con- over our control like you know that it it drives us now and things like that and imagine to feel that hopeless and this is how they are reflecting so they are actually communicating yeah they want power over their life like they want things to be in their control maybe for the better of course imagine being in a rehab where you are told to wake up at a certain time and you know mm. you are told to end your day a certain way and then there's no substance for you and all the coping mechanisms you had till now have to be left right yeah how that's a place where you feel very hopeless and powerless yeah you know demotivated the, also and this is these are the themes that they had and i said okay cool let's take that up 
we heard a few songs about hope like for them this was just songs that they're listening to different from the rehab <laughs> what the rehab was giving them and i said cool now can i tell you something i just noticed that you guys were resonating so much with these songs i think there is an underlying theme of hope and power can you embody what hope looks like to you can you bring it into your body and can you move to how hope feels what would hope feel like and this everyone started movements that were you know coming from the ground to up like ground to up they were all getting up and this is the kind of movement they had the movement vocabulary so getting back to that so do you see how we use small small things something as songs to convey what we want to feel or how we feeling right it's just that people need to be trained enough to pick it up in a session you just need enough training to pick it up and there is no amount of training that can help you unless and until you understand that you are human and you go through this and emotions are always signals they are just telling you how you have to feel at a certain point in time they're not something you're meant to dwell in right when you're dwelling in it what happens is that you are unable to sort of find a way out of it right that means you've not been taught or you've not seen these behaviors where will you learn it from if i'm asking you to prepare for your 10th syllabus without giving you a textbook yes. how are you going to learn that's exactly what it is so that that's the kind of experiences i've had is that movement in the smallest way you know sound in the smallest way music in the smallest way art in the smallest way can bring out so much because we as humans relate to everything yes we see ourselves in everything and we try to uh, like we like something when we see a part of ourselves in it or when there's a sense of relatability to it yeah and most people are very unaware of what they're doing and that's the reason why they get caught up in very toxic uh relationships friendships be it whatever i'm not joking a yeah. lot of people unaware of how and what they're projecting onto another person what they're making the other person do there are very few people who are actually healthy for each other and we've empathy, all got empathy right like empathy like even there are like two things in a toxic relationship one if you are putting out toxicity two like or if you're taking the toxicity like both um, like reflect from the childhood right like so like like i had the same conversation in my uh, previous episodes uh, where uh, so like you as a uh, child if you're looking at your parent and if you see that they are taking shit then means that even you know uh, like toxic if you are in a toxic relationship then that feels like normal to you and if you see like your parents throwing toxicity then you end up throwing it and you don't even see a problem in it because that's a normal to you yeah that's normal to you and that's absolutely anything other than that would be abnormal to you a peaceful household would be abnormal to you that is one of the reasons why a lot of people get stuck in um, abusive toxic relationships because they're so used to it they don't know what it is to be peaceful or just to be content that is scary that is an unknown territory because in a toxic or an abusive pattern they know the loop they know this is going to happen it's go, shit's going to go down and then they'll again make it up and then again it's the loop so 
most people are just looking for certainty. We are all looking for certainty. The pandemic has taken a toll on a lot of people because it's so uncertain. It's made us so uncertain, right? We are just looking for certainty. And wherever we find certainty, even if it's an abusive, uh, toxic, unhealthy pattern, we will live in it. We will stay in it. What do you think about uh, narcissistic behavior? Uh, like, do you categorize as, so, so you categorize as healthy and unhealthy, right? Like a not good or bad. So uh, like while I was reading about like narcissism or narcissistic behavior, then uh, I've seen psychologists say that um, it's like, it's like people uh, who are narcissistic, they don't change. Like, like, what do you think about that? Again, change needs to come from the individual, right? If, um, if it's a proper personality disorder, then it's very difficult, you know, because the person needs to be aware of what they're doing. And most of the times they're not aware yeah. of what they're doing. They will go on manipulating. They will go on gaslighting. They will go on doing these things and they will not be, in fact, they will make the other person feel like they are wrong and this person's right. Yes. You know? To come to awareness to such a pattern is a very difficult thing. And once they're aware, nobody wants to stay in it. To be very honest, nobody wants to be the manipulator. Nobody wants to be the gaslighter. Nobody wants to be the abuser. Like it's nobody. the like being aware that I am so-and-so is what you're saying, right? Like being aware of what problems are causing. Awareness is the key to anything. If I want to change a behavior of mine, how am I going to change even if I'm not aware about it? Yeah. Right? That, 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 then you're asking for way too much from the person. That's when you're expecting too much. To expect a person to change without having awareness. Yeah. Right? No, maybe they might act like they've changed, but like until proper awareness of the problem, they're not really changed. That's what I said. It has to come from within, you know? So I had a friend. So, uh, like this friend. Like, I think that he's a narcissist. I think so. Like, because, uh, so they, he, 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 he always wants to be the one who is always right. Like, like by default, he's right all the time. So if something is wrong, it's always the other person who is wrong. So this, this guy, so he, his, his dad had an affair. So. So he growing up, like he saw his mom feeling like so bad. He saw his mom suffer. So he kept saying, like, I knew him from, <clears throat> from a really long time. And then he kept saying that like, one day I'm going to be a better dad, like than my dad, like I'm going to be a better dad. Like that always kept like motivating him. And then until, um, so he was in a relationship, but then he was, he was also doing the same thing what his dad did. So like externally, <coughs> like he tried um, uh, projecting that he's somewhat different or he's somewhat better, but he kept saying that he's better, but he kept doing the same thing that his dad did. Like even being in a relationship, he had an affair with someone else, like, like online. And uh, that was such a surprise because uh, like later on when I realized that like kids pick up traits from their parents. Uh, <clears throat> like here he's literally seeing like what his mom went through and uh, like he kept saying that he wanted to be a better dad than his no no he said that he was a better person than his dad but 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 subtly subconsciously he picked up the traits 
like which was such a surprise to me but in a way if you see again reverting back to what i said kids will always go out in the world see various behaviors but they will only pick up the ones they have known from home the ones they are familiar with right of course i am sure there is full intention that this person wants to be a better version but maybe this person doesn't know how to and maybe um this this relationship that the parents share is yeah. the only way how he can connect to another person there is no connection otherwise no but right. he's saying like so through words he knows what's ideal like he knows and he's trying to be that person i guess by saying that he is it the thing is there's a lack of acknowledgement like i don't see like everybody like they do something wrong and then they they correct it and then they become better human being but there needs to be acknowledgement right <coughs> yeah like since there is no acknowledgement the problem is not being solved see again let's say with anything let's just say like i said it's a loop right and they will be stuck in the loop for the longest time and the loop does not um, you know the loop does include periods where they will feel bad for their victim and they will say oh my god i need to be a better person that is a part of the loop that phase will come but again it will go to behaviors where they are going to do the same thing that's hurting them so it's a loop that he's stuck in you know he it's a it's a loop and the only way to break it is to understand once you get there to a point where okay i'm doing something wrong instead of going back to doing the behaviors that he does is to find another way out of it and that's going to take some self work that's going to take some deep you know experience or like an inner calling or a rock bottom yeah so yeah and also in relationships right uh like for example if my boyfriend or girlfriend if she is feeling bad or if they feeling depressed then uh, by default the partner expects the other uh, like for example if i am feeling depressed then i expect my partner to make me feel better like in a sense like we rather than seeking for professional help we depend on our uh, like partners or friend to make our feel better i think that's where the toxicity begins because there is they are not well aware of how to make anyone feel better for that matter because they they, they don't know that like, like psychology right like they don't know the subject like they're not professionals so like i think that like when you're putting all your uh, like when you're talking all the negativity that is in inside you and you want and you're seeking for help and if the other person like they, they don't know how to solve it i think uh, like that's when the relationship becomes toxic more than toxic this has become there is a shift in the expectations and responsibilities in the relationship now you are not responsible for the other person's happiness of course together you build a relationship that is a a good one right let's say something that is healthy for both of you you both are growing in it you both are you know both of your needs are being met you know uh, safety security loyalty commitment all of these are being met but primarily the partner is not responsible mm. to make you feel better 
right and this is something i think also the people pick up a lot and i think movies in in that way uh, a lot of the things we watch contributes a lot because somehow yeah. the guy or the girl knows how to fix everybody's mood perfectly and get things to like a happy ending which doesn't really happen um also communication is the key if the partner is feeling low uh, maybe just saying i'm feeling low i need some space yeah. a lot of people have a lot of difficulty saying this as well because yeah. if you say space then they will be like oh this person is going to leave me alone yeah you know they're going to just leave me alone and being abandoned also is a uh, most of our behaviors are attachment are picked up from our parents and our attachment styles are formed with our parents if it's a fearful avoidant fe- dismissive you know whatever the kind of attachment there are four different styles of attachment whatever you fall in you will exhibit that kind of behavior only because you are run by those fears right mm. and one more thing i also always notice is that when you said that you know like you you expect the partner to sort of make you feel better right you can expect the partner to be there for you yeah but if you're expecting the partner to completely like you know parent you and all of that that's a lot of expectation yes. first upon the other person which nobody can fulfill i'm sorry yes. nobody is meant uh, to take up that sort of a responsibility because when you're in a relationship i'm sure people generally i mean there are young relationships when you are younger as well but when you're older like let's say once you're an adult you are responsible and you're an adult right you are to see things uh, that way you cannot be a child always again there's a difference the child in you the like the inner child yes of course be that that gives you the spunk <laughs> the 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 you know spontaneity the childishness all of that very good the fun element of it good keep that alive but don't try to fulfill the needs that you couldn't fulfill with your parents in your relationship that is when it becomes toxic yeah. when you're trying to fulfill a need that you haven't gotten from somewhere else and you're putting that on your partner first of all that's way too much expectation from that person i'm sorry whoever that person is oh that's a lot for you to take yeah. like if my partner expects me to like fulfill their needs for their unmet needs i would be like i'm sorry i'm walking yeah. out i can't do this yeah that's true. and we've that's all true. done this at one point or the other we've put it in friendships we've put it not it doesn't have to be relationships as such we've put it in friendships we've put it in relationships we've put it in lots of other places your unmet needs if you're aware of it are actually actually drive you a lot yeah yeah i think that's very subtle like because um, so um, like after my first relationship so in my first relationship i thought that uh, i was the person who is putting in more efforts than the other person like i thought that because like each person has their way of showing love right but if 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 i think that the only way of showing is my way and if the other person is not showing it in my way that means that it's not love or something but mm-hmm. i felt that so i had this thought where i was putting more efforts uh to like in that relationship like either to communicate or either to um like put efforts in meeting the person or talking to them communicating so that was so subtle that even in my future relationships also uh, like i realized this recently that like if i like someone now there is always this subtle feeling that okay i am the one who's putting in more efforts because of my past 
so i realized this so now i can work on it so in a sense like now i can talk myself out of it like see this is not the way like like way of doing things so like this way like a simple acknowledgement can solve like so many problems one of my teachers uh, told me one thing uh, she told me a very beautiful thing in one of our classes she said um understanding that there needs to be a change that, that that a behavior needs to be changed is change in itself understanding that something needs to be changed is change in itself yeah, yeah? and that's, that's one of the wisest so things i've heard that is why acknowledgement is so important to acknowledge what you've done wrong to acknowledge how you're feeling to acknowledge you know what you've done or what the other person's done or what the other person's made you feel because without it you can't really go anywhere is what i feel because sometimes sometimes things are at a very subconscious level and we don't even know that we have it so like when you're acknowledging it uh, that means that you are keeping the problem pretty clear so when you know the problem very clear then subconsciously you start you find solutions to solve it yeah you will start looking for ways to solve it you know because nobody likes having a problem with them for the rest of their life or nobody likes feeling like a problem and the whole pro- the whole thing of a pro- like to have a problem is to solve it like problem solving yeah. conflict resolution these are all things that need to like it's it's a process i think that if we are living life right like when i when i say living like living like like whatever i'm doing now it is me being lively right like in the present yeah so i think that most of the problems with respect to like psychological problems all that like it comes from either like a past either from past or from fear of something that might happen in the future so like we have we uh, we have always been trained to look up to something strive for something and uh, like we are never trained to live in the moment like even growing up like we have we uh, like goal setting is such a crucial thing in school like you need to set up a goal you need to strive for it like where is the element of doing there like it's always about the goal it's always about like going there which is which is making people feel like what they don't have right now like when you want something that means you are defining what you don't have right now so like it all comes from an element of not being in the moment or like prop like living life yeah i get what you're saying what i'm also saying is that there these are like goal setting and everything they need to they need to be realistic it's good to have a plan for the future right let's say in like 5 years i see myself you know uh, working more you know maybe going to a few places traveling taking my work forward right as in the whole world of dmd that's what i see myself doing but um i completely understand when you're saying that they're not taught to actually work for it today so that you have it tomorrow yes they are just asked to let go of this maybe and look at what we, you need to have a secure job how am i going to get a secure job no one's going to tell me that yeah. right or they'll tell me you have to become a doctor or an engineer these are the only two ways of having a secure job right nobody tells me that tap into what i am good at the most right for the longest time i didn't know 
I was all set to be like, I was all set to be a doctor. After my 12th, I was like, cool. I come from a family of doctors. I will go into either doctors or doc I'll become a doctor or a civil servant, right? These are the only two options I had. Okay. And having done psychology in my 11th and 12th, um, there was something that shifted because um, I didn't want to do after my 10th, I just didn't want to do medicine because I just had irrational fears of needles and like blood and all of that. And I realized, shit, I am not, I am not doctor material. Well, option one failed. Option two, civil servant. That's what everyone's happy with at my house. Everyone's going to be super proud and I'm going to be secure. I'm going to have a job and I'm going to live my life to the fullest. But what I didn't understand at that point was that I am a person who has an innate need for expression, right? I need, I have this thing. I have, I'm very expressive. I talk with my body a lot and I love doing it, right? Um, I, 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 I love being in creative spaces. I love being there, you know? I just thought, okay, it's good to have like dance and all these on the side. Okay, dance, whatever painting I do, whatever, everything on the side, very good. I'll have like a proper job. Um, literally what, seven years down the line, eight years down the line, I'm doing DMT, which is an amalgamation of psychology and dance. Two things that I'm most passionate about, right? Which is so far away from doctor and uh, civil servant, yes. right? If only people and um, if let's say only and I'm not I'm not putting this on people as well like then that they should have known this about me or whatever no if only I was just made to think in directions where I was just like okay this is not the only thing I can do this also opportunity to explore other things yeah and explore and fail because failure is seen as such a big downfall such a big downfall and trust me I have not failed once ever since I've taken up psychology, I have not failed once ever since I've taken up DMT. Because my grades have always because you love what you're doing. Absolutely. And to be very honest, I think the subject helped me more in understanding me myself, in being more aware about myself. And that for me is truly being human. So I am somebody who's very drawn to, like I'm, if, I, if I believe in something, I believe it very, very strongly. And I think the, you can only be the best version of yourself if you become truly human. And but for you that, to be truly, don't you think that depends on like what, like, like people have their own definition of like being human, right? Of course. But at the end of the day, let me tell you, we all breathe. Hmm. We all breathe, right? We all have emotions. Tell me one person who doesn't have emotions or who doesn't feel something. Even if they're not, even if they don't express it, they feel it. They feel it, yeah. Right? For me, being close to that was what mattered. To be able to uh, have that kind of awareness where whenever I'm feeling something, where is it coming from? That was very important for me. And that for me was meant to be a better human. Just to be aware about yourself so that you don't go hurting other people. Yeah. Right. Initially, it started off with I'll be a better human if I don't hurt someone else. Hmm. Right. But then later it became about, okay, if I don't have to hurt, if I can't hurt someone or if I don't want to hurt someone, 
I need to learn about myself because unconsciously or maybe subconsciously, I might be hurting somebody by doing something, you know, no, but that, that I am. Don't you think that um, like people like, for example, uh, you need to think about yourself too, right? Like sometimes uh, something that might make uh, some things that might not hurt someone might hurt you. So when you do something for yourself and that is hurting someone else, then you're still hurting someone, right? Okay. So let's say, suppose there is um, a toxic relationship that I'm in, right? I'm going to leave that relationship because it's better for me. I will grow as a person. It's obviously going to hurt, but the responsibility of their hurt is not mine. Huh. Yeah. Because I first have to take care of myself. Yeah. Also, people have a very, very, um, let's say, different connotation altogether of the word selfish. People think selfish is a really bad word. You can't be selfish. Yeah. And I say, no, put yourself first. Because if I don't understand what's happening with me, how can I be like I understand you? It's a, it's a very stupid yeah. statement. And if, if I'm leaving an abusive relationship, of course, it's going to hurt the person. But do I save them from not being hurt by hurting myself? Yeah. Of course not. You have to look out for yourself. That is when you learn to stand up for yourself. Resilience. That is when you learn to listen to your inner voice. Your inner voice and your gut feeling will always tell you if, yes. when something. You just have to learn to listen to your body. But the thing is... There are two things like one, what my gut feeling is telling. And the second is what I want. So sometimes if my body is telling something and my, like, for example, not to do something and I want something to happen in a certain way, then I, then I try to create delusional thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Like, so like, for example, if my, uh, like when you meet someone and, uh, I have seen this has worked with like most of the people who, whom I have talked to, the, whom I have talked about this. It's that the gut feeling tells something about that person. Like, like, like either this person is going to be like, like nice to you or not. Like, like if you have friendship with this person, like how is it going to turn? But sometimes uh, they, they say things to themselves like, nah, like that might not be the case. Because they want a friendship with that person. So this particular want has, has nullified their gut feeling. Like they created a like delusion is what I'm trying to say. See, um, I'll give you an example. Okay. Suppose I go to a party. I'm feeling very uncomfortable, right? But I want to be there because they're my friends and I want that. I have that need for connection, mm. right? But I'm not feeling good at all. I'm not feeling good about the conversations they're having. I just don't relate to them. I just don't. No, no, I just don't want to be there. Right? Which is something that will make me comfortable. If I walk out of the party, it'll make me comfortable. But I will be alone. I'll have to go back to my room alone. Right? But again, it's important to see what need you're operating from. Yeah. Is it the need for connection, the need, for, what is it? What is it that's driving you? And trust me, most humans, especially this year, we've realized how, the importance of touch, connection, and just be, we are, we are social beings. We really are social beings. 
Yes. Right. The reason why these social media apps are thriving is because we love to be socially connected. That is a part of us. You know, it's different how we taint it and you know corrupt the whole cycle of the need to be social by you know external validation and other things yeah. that come in pressure and all that. That's a different ball game altogether. But we as humans are social beings, and there's nothing wrong in being that way. You are being your absolute uh, self, the, your the self that you're made to be. You know, yeah. that's it. So you will, of course, be in again. There are a lot of things that you will do sometimes to sort of um, like quiet down your gut feeling. Yeah. The experiences yeah. you give your gut feeling yeah. will determine yeah. whether it should it should talk, it should start talking to you or not. If you don't listen to it hundred times, it's not going to tell you the next time. Because the body also has a voice; it wants to be heard, right? So. If you start listening to it, you start nurturing that gut feeling. You know, nurturing it in the right way. Everything has a healthy yeah. way of. Doing and also, it. there's a thin line, right? Like because I think that like whatever your gut says might not be logical. Like sometimes yeah. we try to put that logic template over it, and if it doesn't fit, like we try to like not do it. And also, there's an element of overthinking, also, right? so there's a very like fine line between like, like like you actually knowing if this is your gut telling or is are those just your thoughts rambling around also i have noticed that whenever it's your gut telling you know it's a strong feeling like is something you feel like, like you can't express it yeah like you just know it you just have a hunch you know it and it's damn strong there's no confusion or two ways about it it's just okay this person's going to do this person's trouble yeah or okay what you're doing is not right yeah it's never maybe this person is or you know it will come out in thoughts like that and also overthinking this is something i have seen a lot of people use if you're overthinking there's a reason why you're overthinking mm. the reason why you're not able to let go of that thought and then there's a reason why it's going on in a loop yeah 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 we can't just dismiss it by saying it's overthinking it's no, a very no like uh, no, like no, no i think when you look at it that way i feel it's yeah. a little, it's a dismissive you know yeah you're not actually addressing the need as to why you're overthinking you're just saying it's overthinking and you're leaving it so then you're dismissing that part no yeah. like you're actually like reducing the i don't know like you're just reducing what it actually what is what is actually trying what is to tell trying you. to tell you yeah yeah like i i don't know that's the way i see it No, I think that uh, like people have defined overthinking by uh, like like the thoughts that they like this. So if it's a simple doing, and they're just adding like complicated thoughts to it, or there are like number of thoughts coming like over 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 again. I think like that's how like people have defined like overthinking. Yeah, I know. Like be like also, they have put this understand. as negative. Yeah, yeah. People don't understand half the words they use. <laughs> I'm yeah. not joking. They really don't. Yeah. They're not aware about what the kind of words they're using, uh, and the kind of meaning it can hold. You know, I have been told by so many people that I overthink. I'm generally a little anxious, okay. And I have been told, oh my God, you're overthinking. You're overthinking. You're overthinking. And at the end of the day, a couple of months later, what I would have thought is actually the right thing that happens, and everyone will be like, shit, 
how did you even like see it before? And I'm like, so don't come at me. Don't yeah. come at me and say I'm overthinking. You know. Even I think uh, that uh, I defined overthinking to be like something. Uh, like I'm accepting that like even I uh, defined overthinking to be like something you should not think about or, or maybe like try no like just avoid it. Like yeah. yeah, from now on maybe I'll I'll stop doing that. Yeah, because there's a reason why it's coming up again and again. There's a reason why you're not able to let go of that thought. Maybe there's a, you have not made peace with it or you've not acknowledged it in the first place that it's a different need that's coming out, you know? Or it's a different part of your life being expressed that's it and honestly once you deal with that you will not have these recurring thoughts you i don't think again like it's 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 miraculous the way your body works uh, how just one thought or just having acknowledgement to one thing can literally change the pathways yeah. in your brain can literally change the way which which area of your brain lights up you know um, there's a lot of research into this. There's a lot of research and it's actually very, very surprising and astonishing as to how you can change neural pathways just, just by acknowledging what it actually is. The shift is completely, completely different. And that is why I say your body has wisdom. Your body always does. I think we should just feed our body with like, see, this is the problem. And I think like it starts off like the engine of like, it starts off trying to resolve the issue or it goes in the solution mode. I think we should just give our body a hint or just a smell of it. And then it starts tracking things down. Also, what most people do is that when there's a problem, they want to solve it. Right. But they don't realize that there's a problem process, which has emotion in it. And then the solution. Most people like to skip this middle part and they just want to jump from problem to solution. Right. But the process is what makes it. Makes Permanent. its way to the Yeah. I think that like you can just jump to a solution, but if you're not working on the emotional aspect of it, I think it's not permanent change. Like once you fix the, like the emotional uh, uh, quotient, I think that like, even though it will take time, but like, that's like a permanent, uh, permanent way to go about there's a lot of learning that's what i said when you have a problem when you have an uncomfortable feeling that's actually rich soil for growth very very rich soil for growth and it's about what you plant into it you know you you put a seed and water it it, it is going to grow because it's very rich soil yeah right but you can also just like not use it yeah and also i have I mean, a friend have I have a friend who keeps saying that you don't, like you said that not all the problems, like, like every time we look at problem, we be like, okay, what's the solution to it? Like we always go about like trying to solve that problem. Right. So she keeps saying that not all problems like needs to be solved or go about finding solutions or not all fears needs to be like, like, for example, like this is a basic human instinct, right? Like if I have a fear, then I'm like, I need to get over it. Like that's like a default. Like, like if at all, like you're scared of something, like people do, don't usually say like, it's okay. Okay. I'm scared of it. Okay. Like, like people just have hard time just saying that. Like they always go about, okay. Like, how do I face my fear? Or like, how do I solve my fear? 
right so in that way when you look at it fear drives people to do a lot of things yeah. uh, things that are away from their behavior yeah. right so people just don't generally like being uh, in a fearful state because you don't know what's going to come up that's your raw self right um it's a surprise to them as well it's a surprise to other people as well you'll see that you know oh my god this person's not like this but suddenly this person was like this in this situation right it's important to address yeah it is important to address that you know yes i have a fear of this there is again a need to solve it get over it is again a need to sort of feel you know like you you've gotten over it right which also tells me that there's a fear of failure yeah the fact that you want to get over your fear of uh, let's say i'm i'm extremely fearful of cockroaches okay the fact that i need to get over my fear of cockroaches is that i can't fail at this i can't be uncomfortable which is sad at the end of the day because you can't expect to be comfortable all the time yeah. you can't expect to be uh, feeling comfortable all the time sadness is a very uncomfortable feeling yet we have so many people who have en- who are ending up with a lot of mood disorders a, a lot of uh, let's say even a entire generation of people who are just sad right at the end of the day we are anyway feeling it right might as well acknowledge it learn ways to sort of regulate that emotion and get on with it it's not that you can avoid it i'm not saying if you learn once how to regulate sadness you will not feel sad again life is going to take its turns life is going yeah. to have it's going to have its own ways of you know getting there's back at no, you there's no way about it like you yeah and there's a quote right nothing is permanent that is itself like you know everything changes change is inevitable yeah i think that's i think that's one of, that's very well said and it's it's okay to have these fears it's just how you work around it yeah and also Because, like you said uh, like when we say that we need to overcome this that means that <clears throat> we are defining uh, that fearful state to be a like a state at from which people should improve like it's considered to be like a negative thing to have fear and nobody likes to be weak and when you're weak they think you're vulnerable and nobody likes being vulnerable because then there is fear of exposure right so look how just one small thing can actually go down to the deepest root of yours which is what people don't realize and it's okay because that is the thing you this is what it means to be human this is what it means to be human and if you're comfortable with it you will be at a point in life where okay i'm feeling uncomfortable i just need to do this to feel better if i want to feel better or else i just need to sit with it process uh, you know introspect get on with it you don't take it as a i'm feeling uncomfortable this makes me a bad person it doesn't define you emotions are just traffic signals mm. it just tells you when to go when to stop when to start your engine that's it no emotion is permanent yeah you might feel sad today you might feel happy tomorrow nothing is permanent your emotions are just phases and they are just indicators for you to do the most healthiest thing for you when you steal something you feel guilty right yeah it's indicating from within that you shouldn't be doing this 
this is not yours you should be paying for it that's the right way because you pay for it you get it that doesn't mean you are a guilty person you're guilt prone what is being guilt prone every human is guilty yeah of something when you're, something, when you're doing something wrong it guilt will come up so you can't label yourself as i'm a guilt prone individual i'm very guilt prone yeah hey, we're all very uh, we are all in a rush to label things like i don't know why like we have to define things or we have to label things we have to categorize things i don't know why like we as a society also we 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 want everything uh, like we define something and we label it as either like it's going to it's good or bad or like either you do it or you do not do it yeah maybe i think because we've always seen things as white and black yeah. not the gray yeah. and the colors in between or maybe as a society we've always been taught to fit in yeah fit into something you know be a good girl be a good boy be a this be a that you know we're asked to fit into something or the other constantly so we have to find something to define something you know yeah. we have to be like oh i'm feeling this way oh, okay okay i'm a i'm depressed and that's a huge statement to make because depression is not something that's easy to deal with yeah. people who are actually depressed deal with weeks and weeks of feeling worthless and hopeless hopelessness sorry they feel hopeless they feel worthless they feel they have zero motivation right and i'm not asking you to be sympathetic about it i'm just asking you to understand the intensity about it yeah just you know? don't make a joke about it or not yeah, a joke and don't categorize yourself because one yeah. day you had a fight with your parents you're like oh my god i'm depressed yeah like that's not okay for you to label yourself and it these labels are readily available nowadays all thanks to the advent of internet social media these labels are all available you just pick it up from you can just pick it up from wherever and put it on yeah because a lot of, a lot of the things a lot of the times you will see this happening with your closest ones the most healthiest people around you also there will be labels put there will be labels of the sensitive one the cry baby yeah yeah these are all there these are all going to be a part and parcel of life but again how are you going to deal with it then you need to understand that that's not your problem that they're projecting onto you about something that's going on with them you know because again they might see sensitiveness as a weakness that's the facade they put out in front yeah. of you but down everyone is sensitive everyone has their own needs everyone has their own emotions i think you have sensitive being empathetic it is the strongest thing that a human can ever have like of course like being sensitive people um yeah like you said like being sensitive it's being weak right or being not strong i think that you need to be really strong to be sensitive like like in the sense uh like when i say sensitive i mean that you can catch the subtle emotions that the other person is feeling like for example if you're doing something and if it's making the other person un- uncomfortable that means that you need, you you need to be sensitive enough to know that okay this is making the other person uncomfortable and how are you going to be a sensitive to somebody else's needs if you're not sensitive to your own needs mm. right if you're not sensitive to your own emotions how are you going to even pick it up from another person yeah right so that's the thing anything that you feel can be used to your strength like i gave you the example of when i felt this intense doubt that shit i'm not competent enough 
you know when my group just four people just went walked out and sat i was like i'm doing a bad job like inside that was the reaction but outside i had to keep a face of a therapist right and so i said okay wait i was like i in my heart i told myself i will deal with the self doubt later okay let me talk about the session right now i'm not bringing in me into this and then i took it back to therapy i took it back to supervision and then i was just made to realize i was just nudged to think in the direction that despite having this thought this is what this thought kind of made you creative in a way that you gave them space to understand themselves because that is something what i needed at that point just to understand where that doubt was coming from despite having worked for so many years right and that is what every person needs a space to be held a space to be themselves yeah every person be it anything they, this is all that they want to be heard to be seen for their truest person despite them putting a million facades in front of yeah them. like without being judged like nobody wants to be judged so like that like a fear of being judged like instantly kicks in like people yeah. don't want to be embarrassed about something that's why they they don't uh, do stupid things in public even though if that makes them uh, like have fun yeah like it yeah. all comes down to like being judged yeah and also it's it's very driven into the society and the culture it's very drilled uh, yeah. into you put a really strong nails on things and it's time we yeah. need to take them out because i think that if you're doing <clears throat> if you're doing something naturally uh, that means that there is a reason why you're doing right like i think this is one thing that i've learned talking to you for so long that like listening to like whatever is happening in our mind or listening to our body it's very important so sometimes we might think in a certain way or do um, like we might feel in a certain way because maybe of our past experiences which is not natural so i think that if something is happening naturally to us i think uh, we shouldn't just uh, uh, like discard it like we need to consider it we need to think about it we shouldn't just label it and then push it away hmm. introspection time for yourself reflection these are all things that really really help you as a person nobody ever sits down with uh, okay i broke up with this person this is how i feel okay what part of me feels the loss it's okay to mourn the loss yeah every time you lose something it's important for you to mourn right when somebody passes away you mourn their loss same thing when you lose something in your life when you lose a relationship when you lose a friendship when you mourn it it's okay to feel the way you're feeling it's completely okay to be uncomfortable it is completely fine yeah it's not the end of the world if this can be translated and told to children that it's not the end of the world when you feel sad and when things don't go your way it's not the end of the world then we are looking at um, you know curbing suicide curbing self harm because then there is some sort of hope that okay things will get better someday or even if they don't get better i'm going to be a better version of myself yeah yeah that's it like we're living in a pandemic what more like worse of a situation can you think of right we're living amidst, amidst a pandemic every time you go out there is a fear that you might catch the virus you might fall sick right 
the most uncertain period of our life yeah this is what the world and the li- like let's say the whole life can throw at us yeah but at the end of the day how are you keeping your sanity mm. and whatever way anybody is coping with something it is the right way for them at that point yeah. it so might be disguise things of course of course and whatever be it especially this pandemic however it be people are dealing with it the way they want to deal with it just let them deal with it they will figure out a way people will figure out a way that's why i said even in the beginning you are 21 years old you have gotten yourself to be alive happy and well for 21 years yeah what makes you think you are going to sit and take advice from another person who knows sankarsh for like let's say 5 years right yeah of course you value them the closeness of the relation is there all of that is there but you know yourself the most you yeah, have got to trust your... that instinct like we need to trust that like you like you need like the self trust like the confidence in yourself yeah or i think that's why those co curricular activities in school are actually ways for you to trust yourself if you actually see there are ways for you to trust yourself trust yourself with something away from academics you have the option to pick whatever you want to whatever interests you every term you can do something new or whatever at least that that's how it was when i was studying you know dancing this thing these are all ways to listen to your body yes if only the school sort of brings that awareness sort of ties it up saying that you know this is how you can relate it to yourself if ju- if you just tie it up they just leave very loose ends is what i feel if you just yeah. tie it up for the child then you're looking at very very educated not literate but educated yeah generation and also sometimes like like even you are 30 years old or 40 years old you sometimes it's okay to not know what you're doing in life like i think that we all want like uh, as growing up also we all want to be something like either like doctor or 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 either find our passion or or anything i think like these days like passion is so overrated like everybody is like oh look for your passion like whatever you're passionate about like strive for it i think that it's like whatever you like today and you feel really passionate about it after a few days you might not end up liking it anymore like you do overdo if you overdo anything you like you will stop liking it so like like people should realize that like whatever you like today you might not like tomorrow and it's okay to even it's okay for that too yeah and what you're saying is that everyone wants certainty in their life yeah the, the thing is everyone wants certainty like they want to know what they want to be they want to know how they going how their life's going to turn when they're 40 you know if they continue in this profession uncertainty yes of course is a is a thing that uh, we're not taught to deal with we are not uh, sort of exposed to let's say not taught but exposed to we are not exposed to these things yes and that's when like i chose a field that is very different something that even i was very you know surprised about when i heard about a uh, you know 3 5 years ago yeah 5 years ago so i was very surprised and i was like okay what is dance movement therapy like oh, okay the first thing everyone asked me is there a future how much are you going to earn but of course there is all of that there is 
the fact that I have to, you know, fend myself. All that is there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm doing something that I really like. Yeah. I'm using the therapeutics of movement to provide therapy. Right? I'm using basic breathing. Basic hand gestures, movements. And I have, we have, dance movement therapy works with various populations. Children with autism, children with learning disabilities, normal children going to school, you know. um, And it deals with so many therapeutic heads through the group process. We deal with so many therapeutic heads like confidence, self-esteem, self-concept, body awareness, self-awareness, trust, rhythm, bonding, group coordination, group cohesiveness, social skills. We tackle all of these. Eye contact. We do all of this in a group, right? Just to have that group in a circle and work through something with movement. Yeah. When, when you're going through a very anxious period, people will ask you to deep breathe. Why? Why don't they ask you to think of peaceful thoughts? They never ask you to think of peaceful things or like imagine water or like something that's very calming. <laughs> Nobody says that. Yeah. They will say, of course, like calm your thoughts down. They will say all of that. But nobody will say like, you know, think of something that's really peaceful or like all of that. They will give you things to sense, music or sound that is peaceful, breathing. These are all movement, fundamental movements. Just by breathing into your belly, you are able to calm your nervous system. Because at the end of the day, it is a bodily response to something that you're feeling inside. So you're teaching the body to calm down so that the mind can calm down. Mm. Try it. Like when you deep breathe through a very anxious situation. It helps, yeah. You do slow down. Because it's using your body. Yes, you can explain it through science in a million ways about the central nervous system calming down, the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, all of that. Right? But at the end of the day, you're using a bottom-up approach where you are using the body to calm what is happening there. It's like reverse engineering the thoughts. And we, we are all used to using our body. Tell me one person. Of course, people will be like, how about people with some sort of physical disability? They are blinking their eyes. They are breathing. You know? They there are doing some so form of movement like no matter what like like at least we our cells are moving stuck. we feel very stuck when we sit in one place the pandemic if you've noticed there must have been at least at least one day where you're like when is this going to end when can i go out freely because what does going out mean that you're actually getting up getting yourself out of the space and going somewhere that requires movement and also it's just a psychological uh, thought of okay i have a freedom to do anything like now feel very restricted right because of the rules we are not supposed to go out but yeah just a thought of uh, freedom and going anywhere we want I think that is what people are wanting just a thought of okay I can do anything now yeah and that makes them feel in touch with themselves that makes them feel like there is a need for uh, the connection connection with nature connection with people that's so important because as human beings we're always connecting we True. always want to connect to something or the other. Even when you said mentioned, we have a personal meaning to things. 
right? We attach personal meaning and that's how human process works. It's just, are we attaching healthy meaning, unhealthy meaning again? Yeah. Yeah. And I had so much fun talking to you. Like this was really wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. Like there is, like there's so much I got to learn today and I'm definitely gonna like, like implement like all the thoughts that I've got from here. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really lovely conversation. It, it, it's my pleasure and I hope we do this again sometime. A Sankarshan Joshi trip.